Driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. From global conflicts to greenhouse gases, the folks refusing to wear masks says, and politicians getting caught grabbing asses says, she's driving it home with Patty Vasquez. Good evening, good evening. Uh, this is Dan Katowski. Hello. Uh, I'm uh, sitting in for the uh, uh, fabulous, incredible Patty Vasquez for driving it home with Patty, Patty Vasquez. <laughs> I almost mispronounced that word, Patty. Apologize for that. And uh, it's uh, Radio 720, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio, uh, 820 on your AM dial. Uh, it's great for all of you. Uh, uh, thank you so much for paying attention, for uh, listening today. I, I want to get started right away. Uh, we have a great guest, a first guest of the evening, who's uh, running for uh, Cook County State's Attorney, Clayton Harris the Third. Uh, and uh, full disclosure, I, I've been uh, uh, I, I support Clayton. I've known him for a long time. Uh, he's a friend. I've worked with him uh, both uh, uh, personally. Um, he's on the board uh, that I uh, work for at Kids Above All, but also he uh, I met him when I was in public office and when he was doing work as uh, chief of staff. Uh, for IDOT and uh, the chief of staff for uh, state of Illinois. And I know he's a pros- been a prosecutor, prosecuted thousands of cases. He also teaches public policy at the University of Chicago. So I fully disclosed why I'm, uh, uh, oh, that I'm supporting you just so everyone knows. But I wanted to interview you uh, and give you an, after- an opportunity to talk about your campaign, why you're running, uh, tell people about your platform. Obviously, your opponent will have a chance to be on uh, on A20 at some point, but I just want to have a chance uh, for people to hear from you. So how are you, Clayton? How you doing? Man, I'm outstanding. First and foremost, thank you for the uh, the invitation. I'm, I'm so happy to be on the radio to talk with you and all the listeners as well. And yes, I am running for Cook County State's Attorney, and I'm excited about it. Yeah, and it's great great to hear you, and uh, thanks so much for calling in. I know you have something going on at 530. So Clayton Harris III, you know, a guy who's got uh, everything. You're, you're married, you got a couple kids, um, you're, you're, you're teaching, you've been involved in public services. Why run for Cook County State's Attorney? What, what is it about the job? So I think uh, uh, all those things you just articulated right there in the beginning are the reasons why. Uh, I am a father and a husband, uh, raising two little boys on the south side of Chicago. And, you know, the urgency of this moment truly can't be overlooked. You know, uh, uh, no matter what you feel or how we got to where we are, you know, people aren't comfortable going downtown. People aren't comfortable being around other folks. And there's a trepidation that is going through. Um, And too many of us feel this way. I'll tell you the truth. You know, I'm over in Washington Park, and and um, I told you I had these two little boys. They're phenomenal, nine and eleven. Um, but we're we're a couple of minutes away walk away from Washington Park, and in those two minutes, I have to worry about gang violence and, and bullets flying. You know, the same way that and walking back from the park that I have to worry about being profiled by the police. So my platform is one of safety and justice. We can do more than one thing at a time and accountability. And I know that I'm not the only one who feels that we can do these two things at the same time. So um, this is why I've heard from a lot of people while I've been campaigning about how they feel, you know, and, and that they don't feel safe. So I think that it's incumbent upon the next state's attorney to do their best to address both of those issues, being safe and being just while maintaining safety at the same time. So, yeah, and that's and that's uh, something I think that a lot of people can embrace. And so what what when you said like I, you 
you're running for office, you know, campaigning is one thing. And then being an actual uh, state's attorney is another. It's one of the largest uh, prosecuting office in the country, largest state's attorney's office uh, in the U.S. So wh- what would you do day one? You become the state's attorney. You're, uh, you're fortunate to get elected. People have chosen you. What are you going to do on day one? So, you know, that's, that's a great question. So what we need to look at is the, are the policies uh, that we're going to implement. And being a public policy professor, I feel like I'm uniquely qualified to make sure that we're recognizing that juvenile justice, sorry, there's a train going by, but there's juvenile justice is not just a diversion and diversion statistics, but we're also looking at the influence as well as the power with the state's attorney's office. So what we're going to look at is the restorative justice in the uh, uh, community courts, So uh, we're going to focus on that with the 18 to 26 years old. What we want to do is make sure that we're tackling uh, um, recidivism and that we're uh, doing what needs to be done to curb recidivism around there. We're going to rework our relationship with law enforcement. As a professor teaching uh, public uh, policing uh, uh, race in America, I understand that the need for community relationship with law enforcement is crucial. We're going to hold police accountable for their actions the same way that we're holding everyone else accountable. So what we're going to do is we're going to rebuild trust. We're going to rebuild trust throughout the system on what's going on. How we do this is my other policy that we're going to look at is revamping or uh, um, ramping up special prosecutions. So when we talk about safety, we're going to look at retail theft. We're going to look at carjackings and guns that are flooding our community. You know, this division, we're going to add a 10th division in there. It's going to uh, focus like on the, the syndicates that perpetuate the carjackings and retail theft. Uh, these syndicates are exploiting our young people, and they're using them to make, uh, um, to make them expendable so that we have to throw them away. As you know, I went through the office when Dick Devine was the state's attorney. I went through uh, criminal appeals, traffic. I jumped over to narcotics, and I ended my time in special prosecutions narcotics. So I understand that while we hold everyone accountable, what we really want to do is to get the heads of these syndicates to ensure that uh, these type of incidents don't continue. Yeah, I think, you know, I think what a lot of people are are struggling with, right? I think they see uh, in in the city of Chicago and the county and they see situations where, you know, people have been uh, uh, they've been impacted by a crime and violence. And I think they sometimes are. They're wondering, like, what is the top priority when it comes to making sure our community is going to be safe and, and secure uh, and that our, our kids and families and, and first responders are going to have the type of protection that they need? So when you're talking about the syndicates, because I think oftentimes there's a, there's, we get discussions about crime and violence and we talk about, no, we, we're addressing like this one individual. And what you're talking about is how do we address uh, the, syst- the systemic causes of violence and crime? And how do we make sure that we're get- going after the people who are uh, allowing our kids to get access to all these firearms and allowing people who are uh, in gangs to get access uh, to uh, uh, this lethal weaponry, which is causing a lot of this violence? Is that what you're, you're saying? Absolutely. You know, we have to find and stop the root cause 
of all of the crime that's going on. We still hold everyone accountable for their actions, but what we want to do is stop the root cause. You know, so if we stop the influx of guns coming into the community, uh, we're stopping the root cause of a lot of the gun violence in our communities. It's the same way if we're going after retail theft and these syndicates that are putting out these grocery lists, you know, when they do these smash and grabs, that we can stop the violence that's happening uh, there with this. So uh, attacking the head, I think, is extremely important. We still hold everyone accountable for their actions. How we hold them accountable and then how we work up these cases is something that I was doing in the office uh, uh, through special prosecutions. So I know it works. Yeah, and I think that one of the things that I've heard you talk about is making sure that everybody uh, has a seat at the table when it comes to solving uh, the problems that are faced by the county. You know, expound on that a little bit more for people who are listening. So when we do this, we can't do it in a vacuum. We have to communicate with everyone. We have to work with everyone. So collaboration is the the, the biggest thing that was going to be. We're not pointing fingers at anyone. What we're doing now is we're working with our elected officials. We're working with our community advocates. We're working with law enforcement, all law enforcement as well, to ensure that we understand what's causing the problem, where the problems are, and how we can address these problems correctly to hold people accountable. You're going to hear me keep on saying that and to hold them accountable appropriately. I am a military brat. My mom was an educator and my dad was an officer in the United States Army. So we believe in discipline and respect for authority. But I'm also a Howard Law grad, right? So I grew up in the law with civil rights and advocacy for everyone. So we can do more than one thing at a time while holding one accountable. We hold them accountable appropriately, safety and justice. Yeah. And so I know one of the issues is that uh, I've heard there's a fair number of cases that have not been resolved uh, in the city, uh, in the county, uh, particularly people who've, uh, you know, we've had a chance, uh, unfortunately, to work with people in my organization who've lost family members to homicide. Right. And uh, and I know you're familiar with that. So wh- what do we what do we say to these families that are that have have uh, suffered the loss of a loved one to a, a violent um, act, and yet there hasn't been justice served uh, as relates because it's not going to bring back the people who are no longer with us, with us, and with them. So, what do you what do you do for those folks right now? Uh, these cases that are still open and they need to be resolved. How can we how can we make sure that we're doing our best to resolve that? Well, what we want to do is to make sure everyone remembers that the state's attorney is the victim's advocate. We're there to make sure that justice is served. And how do we do this? It's, it's, it's ensuring that, you know, cases are resolved as uh, efficiently and effectively as possible. So we look at resources. And what that means is, you know, we look at how we're able to efficiently uh, resolve these, these, these cases, you know, and make sure that there's not a lag in the office that's holding it down. So we have uh, uh, in the office now there's approximately about 747 attorneys, there's 100 investigators, and about 400 staff. So we look to ramp up on the attorneys, but we also look to uh, hire more uh, paralegals so that um, information and the work that the attorneys are doing can be written up efficiently and effectively so that the attorneys can still concentrate on the cases that are out there. So it's an issue, uh, our, our question of resources and making sure 
that we allocate the resources correctly. It's another thing, you know, having been a manager of a large organization of state agencies and dealing with staffs of over 5,000 people, it's what I believe makes me uniquely qualified to come in here and to run this office. You noted a little bit earlier, this is the second largest uh, prosecutor's office in the United States. We do big things in this office. This is the office that prosecuted John Wayne Gacy and Hadia Pendleton's murderer, but it's also the office that looked at uh, over 200 exonerations for people that never should have been put in prison. So we can do more than one thing at a time to ensure that justice is served. And so the people who have not had a resolution, we go in there and we manage what's happening there to make sure that we can, where appropriately, ensure that these folks are realizing the justice that they deserve. Yeah, and thank you for uh, kind of explaining that and taking people through it. So what? So I, you know, we have like uh, just a few minutes to go. And I was like, so what? You know, for those who may never meet you, may they, they may not see a commercial, may not read about you uh, in the newspaper, but are listening right now. Now, why vote for Clayton Harris for Cook County State's Attorney? Why vote for you? You know. I, I appreciate that question a lot, um, and, and to you all out there that are listening right now, I am passionate about um, our safety, and I'm passionate about the justice that is administered through this office. The mission of the state's attorney, especially here in Cook County, is a laudable mission. I think that there is absolutely nothing wrong with the mission of the state's attorney, and we're going to adhere to that mission. But that mission is justice and how justice is administered. So I told you, the state's attorney is the victim's advocate. So we're going to advocate for victims and victims' rights, but we're going to do it appropriately and to make sure that we're doing it. So why vote for me? I love this county, this city, this, this, these communities. I am raising two little boys here, and I want them to be. I need them to be safe, but I also need justice to prevail no matter what happens. And I'm not the only person with kids. I'm not the only person who feels this. No one that I've talked to have said has said that we need to sacrifice justice for safety or safety for justice. Everyone I've talked to, everyone I've talked to believes that we can do both. I know as a professor at the University of Chicago of Public Policy that we can implement the correct policies that keep us safe and do it in a just fashion. So why people should vote for me, hopefully they can see, feel, hear the passion in my voice, understand that my, my path that has led me to today, being an assistant state's attorney, having managed large offices, running state agencies, teaching uh, public policy, has positioned me to be uniquely qualified at this moment to be the best state's attorney, ready, ready on day one to ensure that we are holding people accountable and we're doing it in, 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 with an eye towards safety and justice. Thank you for that. And then before we depart, uh, it's the holidays. You know, I, I know you celebrate Christmas and some people listening, you may celebrate Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever. But just really quickly, what is your favorite holiday movie? I know people are just uh, dying to find out. What's your favorite holiday movie? 
Oh, that's hilarious. Elf. Elf, <laughs> Elf. Uh, because me and my boys, uh, we can't get enough of it. We cannot get enough of it. There's a new one, Jingle Jangle. That's great, but it's a far second place from Elf. I did a nice little survey at our, our Better Life Distribution Center yesterday and had a group of young people from Maine South High School, the Key Club, and I did a survey what their favorite movie was, and an Elf went out. So it's been carried yeah. through the generations, and uh, and there was one person who talked about the Grinch, and there was only only got one vote, but uh, Elf prevailed. <laughs> Listen, I know you got a role, but I thank you so much for getting on the show uh, today and uh, for uh, taking questions and uh, for you know explaining what your your why is, why you're running, what you want to see accomplished as state's attorney. You know, on on behalf of. Uh, um, you know, people out there, we, we appreciate that you, you put yourself out there and you're running. Uh, wish you the best of luck and and uh, look forward to connecting with you soon. Uh, but, ladies and gentlemen, Dan. that was that was oh. Clay, Clayton Harris. Clayton, what were you going to say? I'm sorry. Thank you. No, I was just going to say thank you and wish everyone a happy, happy holidays. Be safe. You too. You take care. Thank you. We're going to head to a commercial right now. This is uh, Driving Home with uh, Patty Vasquez, Radio uh, 820. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter. Hi, this is Kirk Bankstead from the Manaqua Brewing Company, and I sell progressive beer like AOC IPA and Bernie Brew, a lovingly irascible democratic socialist lager. A percentage of the proceeds of every beer I sell goes to helping keep Wisconsin blue and driving the Trump cult out of our state. Enjoy a great craft beer and help your dysfunctional neighbor to the north get its democracy back. Buy yours at Beer on Central in Evanston, D&D Finer Foods in Evanston, Rogers Park Provisions, Provisions Uptown, and Beer Shop Oak part must be 21 please drink responsibly you're listening to driving it home with patty vasquez there's so much that goes on behind closed doors on wcpt 820 this is dan katowski back i'm i'm filling in for the the unbelievable, incredible Patty Vasquez, uh, driving home with Patty Vasquez. And uh, this is Radio 820, uh, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio. We just had an interview with Clayton Harris III, who's running for Cook County State's Attorney as a Democrat. I uh, thought that was a nice interview, Andy. It was good to hear his background and why he was running. It's, I always appreciate when people put themselves out and decide to run for office. It's real challenging it's difficult and it puts a lot of pressure on, on your family. It's a big sacrifice, but um, that's what public service is. And uh, I like it when good people run. So um, I think that's important. So we have, uh, um, we have uh, someone on the line who wants, uh, who's got a question. Jim. Uh, yeah. Hi, Dan. How are you? Good, Jim. How are yeah, you? The shooting, good. The shooting in Vegas, uh, three people were killed. I don't know what the, what the uh, gun was used, but I know there's 24 million AR-15s in the country. Yeah. That's what, that's, what, that's registered. But who knows how many there really are. And I grew up in the 50s when the arms race was, uh, at the height, we had to get under our desk and do whatever. It was once, at least once a week and, you know, fold up under your desk in case a bomb hit. But I feel that we're in an arms race in America, a small arms race, where the Republicans are pushing guns on everybody. It seems to me they, uh, the good guy with the bad guy with the gun, the good guy with this is all nonsense. Uh, 
And think about the money that's spent on these um, huge tactical forces that got to answer these AR-15s. How much taxpayer money is going towards these SWAT teams and training that should be done for other purposes? And and not to I, mention the, the, the public health costs, uh, uh, both for... Uh, um, treating people who have multiple um, gun, gunshot wounds and what that costs for hospitals, emergency rooms, and then what the cost is for the loss of life. I mean, this is, you know, this is a litmus test. It should be across the board. Look, people out there, they're, they're, they're Democrats and um, people who are um, Republicans. But the, the fact remains is you can strike a proper balance in protecting people's quote unquote individual, you know, civil liberties and keeping kids and families and first responders safe from military style assault rifles and pistols. And we passed a law here in the state of Illinois um, over the past uh, year. And that was really important to do that. And uh, later on, we're going to have Kathleen Sanchez, who's the uh, the CEO of GPAC. But the fact is, in our country, we're not doing enough to keep people safe. You can pass a law in the state, and that's going to help reduce the number of instances where we have these these uh, exceedingly lethal uh, firearms uh, being used in uh, criminal activity. But it's got to be something national. And it should be a litmus test. You go to the poll or you talk to someone who's running for office, like, what are you going to do to protect my our kids and our families and our first responders from assault uh, type weapons. What are you, are you doing? Are you taking a position? And if you're not, well, I'm not going to support you. I mean, it's the gotta be that simple for, for, for decades in this country. The, uh, the gun industry and their lobby has really had a stranglehold on, um, on the legislative bodies that are out there. And thankfully in Illinois, we've, we've turned the corner with uh, Governor Pritzker and the leadership of uh, Don Harmon, uh, Senate President and Speaker of the House, Chris Welch. They've done a terrific job as well as the respective senators and reps. But people need to get out and they need to ask these questions and they need to hold people accountable who are in those positions and they need you to reach out to their, their leaders. And if you, if you look in Congress right now, they have not passed. They passed an assault weapon in the mid-90s. How is it, uh, after passing this assault weapons ban, after it was sunsetting, how is it that no assault weapon type ban has been passed since 2004? And we've had like this this incredible number of mass shootings involving AR-15s. Uh, and, uh, and tech nines and Mac tens and whatever weapon that's being used. So, and nothing has happened at the federal level. It's, it's just extraordinary. It's sad. It's disappointing. It's frustrating. Uh, it's insane. And, and yet people ask themselves the question like, well, what are you going to get if you get a, if, if you elect people who do not support reasonable measures to keep kids and families safe? You know what you're going to get? You're going to get mass, more mass shootings. You're going to get more death, more destruction. So people need to be as involved as they possibly can be. They need to support their elected officials who stand up, uh, for the, the, uh, the freedoms of people who've been subjected or could be potentially subjected to crime and violence and by assault type weapons. And they need to, they need to get engaged. And uh, when they do get engaged, good things happen. So in the state of Illinois, we've passed multiple pieces of legislation and you're starting to see a reduction in some of these instances of, of violence. But look, I mean, we have to do something as a nation, as a country. People need to get engaged. They need to step up. Thanks so much for your call, Jim. I, I appreciate it. Uh, it's good to hear from you. Uh, I just, and all the other thing is I, I want to just, for those of you paying attention, you know, we just had the, a candidate for state's attorney on. You know, I think 
one of the things where I think people feel like we've lost our way in uh, in the city and the county is, are we going after, uh, as, uh, as Clayton said, are we going after the syndicates? Are we going after the people responsible for getting all these illegal weapons in the hands of, you know, children and gang members and, and people who are very, very dangerous? So, you know, are we are we figuring out a way to coordinate and collaborate with other other county affected county elected officials? Are we collaborating with other states? Are we collaborating with all our people uh, across uh, the country? Because that's what's going to need to be done in order to make sure we have a safer, uh, a more free existence. I mean, the other side talks so often about their freedoms. But what about the freedoms of families, the freedoms of kids, the freedoms of uh, first responders who just were trying to do their job? They want to get home safe to their families and not be you know, gunned down by someone carrying a military-style assault rifle or pistol. We're going to go in for a break right now at 530, and we're going to return after uh, the commercial. This is Dan Katowski filling in for Patty Vasquez. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Dan Katowski, how are you? Sitting in for uh, Patty Vasquez, driving home with Patty Vasquez, Radio 820 WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio. I'm really excited about our next guest, uh, Andy. Known him for some time. He's an outstanding human being and does a lot of good work, impactful work for people across uh, the city and uh, and our state. Uh, And um, it's made a his work has made a huge difference. He and his team, it's a huge difference in the lives of so many people. Uh, it's my good friend, uh, Rick Estrada, who is the president and CEO of Metropolitan Family Services. Rick, how are you? Hey, Dan, I'm doing really terrifically. Yeah. I'm glad to join you. You know, it only took me like, uh, uh, you know, three hours to write that intro for you. What would you think? <laughs> yeah, you should have worked on it a little longer, you know, four hours might have worked. <laughs> well, it's good to hear from you. I wanted people to get a chance to meet you. I've had a chance to work with you for some time. Some people are out there may not be familiar uh, as much as possible uh, with the Metropolitan Family Services. Why don't you explain to people what MFS does and um, uh, and, and ways in which you're uh, working to, to make a difference uh, in the city and in our state? Sure, it'd be my pleasure. I, first of all, yeah, again, thanks for having me. The, the MFS, Metropolitan Family Services, just a little bit about its history. We are the first chartered human service organization in the state of Illinois. We consider ourselves Chicago's legacy nonprofit, founded in 1857. Wow. Uh, makes us 167 years young today. Um, and from the very beginning, we were committed to social justice issues, helping those who uh, needed a little a hand up. Um, when the big fire happened here in 1871, we were the organization that the city charged with helping rebuild uh, the city's human infrastructure. We built over 4,000 units of housing. Most of them are gone today, but a few of them remain in Old Town and places like that. They're a little fancier today. Uh, and over the course of time, we helped found the United Way together with Catholic Charities and Jewish Social Services. We helped incubate Chinese American Service League, Mary Crane Center. And over the course of time, we continue to build and merge with organizations and become, you know, one of the biggest um, nonprofits in town today. How many uh, uh, people do you impact every year? 
yes. Uh, today we are serving about 127,000 people per year. Mm, mm. That's a significant number. So I, what, I and imagine these are some of the questions that uh, people present to me in my role. They're like, Rick, how are you able to do so many things for uh, so many programs for so many people and be effective? Well, that's the answer. It's pretty simple. I think, as you know, it's we have a lot of talented people that have chosen this field as their career. People that uh, have degrees from every university in the country who are super talented, and I'm honored to uh, that they let me be their CEO. Uh, so we hire approximately right now 1,200 people are part of our team. And we organize around four key areas. They uh, are all start with E, education, emotional wellness, economic stability, and empowerment services. All our programs are uh, fit in one of those buckets. And I'm happy to tell you as much as you want to know about them. Uh, but how we uh, provide these services ensure quality. It's first you hire quality people. And then you let them do their job. And we uh, have an uh, outcomes and evaluation team. We have funders that require us to have evaluation and prove outcomes and at least outputs in some cases. Uh, but you know that deal uh, is hard work. We need to prove our worth every single day. So what do you think is, um, you know, I would say that the, the, the number one problem facing uh, the people that uh, your team works with on a daily basis and, 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 and the best solution? Yeah, the number one problem that the people we work with face today is uh, just having an equal shot at um, the American dream. That's the number one problem. We don't. Uh, it didn't all. They weren't all born to great parents like yours and mine. Um, they weren't all born in you know communities that embraced them. And um, so, in the case in that case, we are here to give them that opportunity. Uh, wrap services around them, give them an opportunity. They have uh, God-given talents, and they we just need to pull them out of there. They they have innate strengths, and they're going to do fine just with a little bit of a hand up. These people are talented and would do well. Uh, the major challenge our people are facing is like income inequality. They need to find jobs. Most of our people have jobs, but they have jobs that aren't paying what some people would call a living wage. So we need to make sure that they do. Um, some people, as you know, they knit together a couple, two, three, four jobs to try to make a living. Um, if we could keep them to one job, one job and a half at a living wage, everybody would be happier. It would be in our own mutual best interest to see these folks have an opportunity to succeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's uh, So what's a kind of circling back why are you doing the work that you're doing? <laughs> well, I think, you know, a little bit about my background. I uh, thought for a long time that I was going to be an ordained uh, priest. Um, I was in the uh, high school seminary, college seminary, did some mission work, came back, uh, was in the major seminary, and then decided um, that I loved the service, loved the work, but didn't necessarily want to be ordained. Um, and so what does a kid with degrees in psychology, theology, philosophy do and, uh, and, uh, heart for service. And I, 
asked the guy in the neighborhood if he knew of any jobs, and he led me to the first little nonprofit I worked with. And that led to me getting old and being at Metropolitan Family <laughs> Services. <at laughs> what was the first uh, nonprofit you were at? Yes, yeah, a little shop called Latino Youth Inc. Yeah. in the Little Village neighborhood. Sure, yeah. No longer exists, but yeah. Wow. Caseworker, like most of us started. Case yeah, right, worker. right, right, right. And then uh, it led you to that. So as your background, it's it's kind of interesting. I, I And I say to people all the time, you know, my father studied to be a priest, and he was three years away from being a Jesuit priest. And uh, thankfully, he left or I wouldn't be having this conversation with you today. Um, <laughs> and uh, and I'm sure your kids are, it depends on the day, are very grateful that you left or, or you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be around, right? So, exactly. Yeah. On, on the stage of, stage of, when they were teens, I'm not so sure. <laughs> right. So when you, when you look at the work that's happening right now uh, uh, in the... What, what's something you can point to and you say, you know what, I, I, this is what I remind myself. This is what we were able to achieve, and it's a story that motivates and inspires you to, to keep going, keep doing the work that you're, you're focusing on each day. You and I are so lucky we have hundreds of those stories, but at our big annual celebration just a couple of weeks back, we highlighted a young person in our Youth Build program. If you don't know what that is, that's working primarily with, uh, in our case, working with young people from the South Side and giving them an opportunity to uh, learn the trades. And in uh, his case, he uh, graduated from high school but really was uh, lacking direction, uh, needed to get his uh, hands involved, not only his mind. Um, and so we put a program together for him where he is learning to build, learning to build houses and getting them ready for the trades. He's uh, going to an apprenticeship program now, but before that, we got him certifications in safety and drone flying and forklift operation, and the guy thrived, and uh, he is one of our best stories. He lives on the south side of the city, and um, he's going to have a great career in the trades, which, by the way, we need more people in the trades. But that's just one story. I mean, we I could tell you, uh, you know, 12 more. Yeah, uh, right, right. And I think, yeah, and that's one of these things I think sometimes, uh, you know, people think uh, the fact that someone went to the college or they got a degree is, is, is the main indicator of success. And yet there's people that you work with. And I know that we work with who end up, they may not, may not have received a college degree, but they're, they're working full time and they're key taking care of themselves and their families. And, it just speaks to the fact and the importance of investing in these vocational opportunities and partnering with the trades and, you know, because not everybody's destined to, to do well in an academic environment and um, they need to be moving. They need to be building things and uh, they just have talents, talents that can be expressed elsewhere. So I'm, I appreciate you, uh, you, you sharing that story. And then, so when you, when you look at kind of the city a lot of things are, are being profiled right now in terms of, um, the challenges we're facing uh, with how are we going to accommodate, you know, what's going on in the city with uh, influx of uh, asylum seekers and migrants. And what, what do you what do you look in your position, in your role? You know, what do you think? How do we best address some of these challenges, make sure we're able to meet the needs of people who are coming here while also continue to meet the needs of, you know, people who are struggling uh, currently while these while these challenges exist? Yeah, great. Uh, great question. I would start by saying we could do both, and uh, we have the resources and the capacity, the size. We're the third largest city in the country. We've done this before. 
by the way, uh, what do we have today? Let's say 23 or 24,000 uh, migrants have come from the southern border from all countries, not just Venezuela. Uh, but, um, you know, there's also about 30,000 uh, refugees uh, came from Ukraine. And we could hardly tell that they're here. Uh, and what's the difference between the two? Mm. Uh, in one case, the federal government took responsibility for uh, providing the refugees, uh, the Ukrainians, the uh, opportunity um, to uh, come here, give them a work permit, give them some help and assistance, and they've integrated pretty successfully into our city, and I'm so glad for that. In the case of the people coming from uh, Venezuela and the other countries from uh, across our hemisphere, uh, they didn't get that same aid, so they come through the sun border, they go through Texas, Texas us. Uh, go to the uh, cities up north, we get them here, we're unprepared, uh, and we're doing, I think the city's doing the best they can. Uh, however, much more has to be done. Um, I think the uh, nonprofit sector in general, we are helping as best we can, but the city needs to uh, unlock, not resources, but some of their uh, bureaucracies so that we can help further mm-hmm. uh, in this effort. Um, uh, again, I think had they come with similar uh, similar resources as our Ukrainian neighbors, we wouldn't really be talking about them right now. And in 10 years, uh, with an influx of, let's say, 30,000 Ukrainians, let's say we get 25, 30,000 Venezuelans, it's like a neighborhood. It's like all of Little Village, right, uh, descending on the city of Chicago. Well, guess what? This We could handle that. Uh, we need the workforce. Um in 10 years, people are going to be saying, how did Chicago do this? What a great success. It's building, it's thriving. And the cities in the South like, uh, are going to be saying, how do we miss on that opportunity? Because mm-hmm. these people come with an energy and creativity. And, and yes, it's short-term pain, but in the long run, we're going to be better off. We've done it before with every immigrant group that's come through here. That's interesting, Rick, because you don't often hear people talk about situations like this as an opportunity. You know, it took, it's more mm-hmm. more described as, as a hassle, an inconvenience, a threat, and um, it's often not presented in that way. Like this, this could be an opportunity. And or, and I will say this, you know, you don't often hear people talk about how the difference in uh, treatment uh, for people who uh, came from the Ukraine and the support that the federal government provided, and and how that's uh, lacking, you know, right now. Uh, as relate to the the, the current uh, migrant situations you talked about with uh, with people coming from Venezuela and the like, and, and as you yeah, talked about, I'm glad we helped the Ukrainians. Yeah, I'm glad we helped the Ukrainians. We continue to help them. Uh, but, uh, the federal government can also help them uh, with this other group. Right, right. Yeah, it's it's important for people that I think have that context, because I think when you're like, the the bite sized communication that occurs from uh, what you're reading in the media is that, like, you know, it's it's one side or the other side, right? It's not the nuanced conversation or no one. I, I haven't read anything and said, OK, well, let's look at the opportunity here. And I know this, you know, in, in our, at our agency, we have, you know, 41 home-based daycare providers that are all run by women. They're all Latinx uh, and they're all uh, at one point uh, um, immigrants who came 
um, to the U.S. And they're all working and they're all taking care of their families and they're running businesses. And uh, and it's just an example that you, you point out. I think people don't have the full picture. So I appreciate you communicating uh, that full picture because it this this type of uh, challenge, for lack of a better word, requires a thoughtful conversation. Uh, otherwise, so what we see is this uh, people just picking sides. And uh, when you pick sides, you don't have a... You know, you're not welcome and open to new information. So I appreciate you sharing that. So what's the, uh, what's the, what are the, what the like for coming up for meth, for uh, Metropolitan Family Services, what, what are the, what are the top three things you're going to be working on in uh, 2024? Yeah, we have all the easy issues, uh, Dan. Uh, we work on gun violence. Uh, we are Providing uh, the city of Chicago with uh, the Metropolitan Peace Academy, we're opening the doors on January 12th. Um, we've been doing the work since 2017, but on the 12th, we will cut the ribbon to our Peace Academy, and we uh, will invite the mayor, the governor, and uh, all elected leaders, other leaders, to come and see what could happen there. Uh, the work of the Metropolitan Peace Academy is to train um, community violence intervention uh, experts on how to, uh, on the best available science to reduce gun violence. Um, mm-hmm. Some people might know the people on the streets as outreach workers or intervention workers or interrupters. They um, uh, have different labels and titles, but uh, generally they're community violence intervention. There's a science to it. We've been doing this for over 75 years, but everybody does it a little bit differently. And so we're trying to standardize the field, professionalize it. We're giving the guys college credit to go through the 144-hour training uh, so that we can be better trusted by the community, by the police, and be more effective at reducing the next uh, act of gun violence, trying to prevent the next act. I think, as you know, we've had double-digit drops in gun violence this year, double-digit drops last year, but that's not good enough. We're just getting to the pre-pandemic average now we need to drive it down further. So, uh, so we're working with that, uh, with uh, many different partners and communities partnering for peace. It's a partnership of hyperlocal organizations uh, that are um, banding together, that have banded together with us to, uh, to do the work in partnership again with other community organizations, faith-based leaders, and the police. So that's one area. And then the ongoing work of getting people employed. We have a, a big uh, workforce development programs uh, across the region. I should say we are in the entire metropolitan area from DuPage County to Chicago, our northern burbs and southern burbs. And so uh, wherever one of our centers is, we customize services that could be legal aid in one place and in another place it could be domestic violence services, workforce training. In many places we offer early childhood. So right. Depending on the hey, community. Hey, Rick, we're going we're to take a quick break. Uh, and we're going to come back and we'll just uh, wrap up with you. Uh, but we have to take a quick commercial break and uh, come back in just a couple minutes. All right. Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200. That's 773-248-1200 or europeanus.com. 
You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. This is uh, Dan Katowski filling in for the illustrious uh, Patty Vasquez, Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on Radio 820, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio. I'm here with uh, uh, my guest, uh, Rick Estrada, who's the president and CEO of Metropolitan Family Services. Rick, I had to cut the commercial, forgive me, but you were in the middle of talking about what your the, the top three priorities were uh, for the coming year, and you were focusing on gun violence and the, specifically how gun violence has uh, reduced in the city of Chicago, but it's not good enough. And you talked about the Peace Academy, and and I, and I, I wanted to give you a chance to... Uh, speak more about uh, what your priorities are. Sure. Uh, yeah, the gun violence was number one. Getting people jobs and employed through job training across the region would be the second one. And then um, the mental health crisis that we're having in this uh, city and country would be the top three priorities, making sure we have qualified um, you know, professionals offering the service to everybody who needs it, um, workforce, and reduce that gun violence. I mean, those are three of the things that we work on, and we're uh, lucky to work on those kinds of things with people like you and many others on town, in town. Yeah, I appreciate that. And so, everyone talk about what you just uh, what you just uh, stated. You know, the workforce development, uh, mental health, gun violence reduction, key priorities we should be focusing on this in the uh, in the city. And then, for people who are listening. And what's uh, and who are thinking about what they want to do in their life and how they're getting involved and and what they could focus on? Why get involved with a with a nonprofit like Metropolitan Family Services? What what's what's the what's the point? Yeah, well, the point for us it's uh, pretty simple. Um, anybody who gets involved in a nonprofit, it's a volunteer, especially uh, you know the high quality ones like like the one you lead and. Uh, here where I lead and many other where our partners are is you get back so much more than you give, whether it's time or treasure or talent, you end up getting a lot more in return than what you actually gave. And we hear these stories over and over from our board members, our volunteers, uh, like, listen, uh, my time volunteering with uh, Metropolitan has changed my life because it has shown me how hard people work and how difficult it is for them to get along. And uh, it's changed my perspective. It's going to change the way I think about employing people. Uh, so uh, it is not, it's a mutual benefit to be involved with a nonprofit organization. If you're going to have a career here, uh, you need to understand this is uh, it's still a mission-based organization. It's a vocation almost, and nobody's getting rich here. But um, you can live a, a good life and a happy life. We provide the terrific uh, first-class benefits for our employees here, and we strive every day to make it a good work environment. Uh, so whether you're an employee or you're a volunteer, you will get more than you put into this organization or or any one of our partners. Uh, well said. I appreciate you, you sharing that. And then, uh, so I know it's the, it's the holidays. What's what's going on at Metropolitan Family Service during the holidays? What are you focusing on uh, in particular over the next few weeks? Yeah, over the next few weeks, uh, people are just scrambling. You know, people are in need, so we are providing meals. We're providing uh, gift certificates, presents across our areas where people need them. We are 
partnering with uh, places like the Greater Chicago Food Depository and other organizations to make sure people have the basics uh, to eat, but also uh, coat drives, glove drives, all those kinds of things that make people feel good um, during this time of year. And uh, we like to do it with dignity. We, Whenever we have an opportunity to donate something to a family in need, we want them to have a choice of what present they want. So uh, sometimes for us, it's gift cards. That's the most effective because then they get to pick what their children want mm. rather than Rick Estrada assuming that they know what a uh, 13-year-old boy needs. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So sounds like you have your work cut out for you. And uh, I appreciate that you've uh, given so much of your time uh, this evening to talk about you and talk about Metropolitan Family Services and the great impactful work uh, of your organization and uh, what you're going to be focusing on for the future. You know, for those of you who are uh, really interested in what Rick was talking about, you should be interested in it. Just uh, look up Metropolitan Family Services. Um, you know, as he said, he's been around, uh, working with them for a while, and they've been around for a long time. So um, please consider supporting them uh, this holiday season and beyond. Rick, it's a pleasure talking to you. Before you uh, head off uh, to what you're doing this evening, you know, we're it's, it's kind of our, you know, it's my the holiday show. Uh, and uh, I'm asking people what their favorite holiday movie is. And so if you could leave people with your favorite holiday movie, it would be great to know. Yeah. Well, thank you again, uh, Elf. My family Elf, and I love right. it. I think it's hilarious. It's a <laughs> We just like having fun, and that's a fun movie. It is a fun movie, and uh, um, <laughs> make, smi- make, make work your favorite. Make work your favorite. I'm smiling. So uh, I was uh, um, our, our earlier guest, Clayton Harris, the uh, third, who's running for state's attorney. His favorite movie was Elf. Last night, we had a group of people at our Better Life Distribution Center for uh, uh, driving it home with Patty Vasquez, Patty Vasquez. Hello, good evening. It's 606. This is Dan Katowski sitting in for uh, the fantastic Patty Vasquez on the Driving Home with Patty Vasquez at Radio 820 WCPT, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio. I'd also like to welcome our, our good friends from KTNF 950 AM, Minneapolis, St. Paul. Uh, welcome to the show. Um, we have a great guest who's going to be on with us right now. It's uh, Kathleen Sanchez, who's the president and CEO of GPAC. I'm really uh, pleased that she's on. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, her job is entirely necessary uh, because of we all this uh, gun violence that we see that's happened in our city, in our state, in our country. But I will say this: Kathleen Sanchez has helped be a bulwark, you know, against uh, all this uh, violence that's. Uh, uh, occurred uh, in the state of Illinois and, and helped uh, and has been instrumental in leading the effort to pass uh, legislation that keeps uh, kids and families and first responders safe and and free um, from uh, gun violence. And uh, she's done just a fantastic job in the state of Illinois. And every state should have a Kathleen Sansa. So she leads the effort uh, to pass legislation uh, in the state of Illinois. 
um, as well as to help elect uh, candidates who support reasonable gun safety measures and uh, to defeat ones who don't. So, Kathleen, uh, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on. I know we just had another had another spate of uh, mass shootings. We had another Las Vegas today, and um, it just seems like it's uh, just, you know, same situation, a different day, and uh, I'm just glad that you're doing the work that you're doing, and I just wanted to have you on and talk about some of the things you've been working on. First of all, how are you? Good evening. Hi, Dan. Um, thanks for having me on and for the kind introduction. I appreciate that, that you're recognizing the work, and um, yeah. Well, it's good Something to... It's, it's good. Confident. Oh, sorry. No, no. What were you going to say? Sorry. One thing we can be sure of is there's always going to be another shooting. So here we are to talk about it. Yeah, right. Here we are to talk about it. And here we are. Yeah, but like just kind of, you know, walk through like what's what's been done. What has helped to separate the state of Illinois uh, from other places? I know people see some of the violence that's happened here in Illinois. But what's different from us? What makes us different? And why are we different? And how can other states, you know, follow our lead? And how could the national uh, the national uh, government follow our lead? What makes us different? Why, why are you able to be effective? Well, I would say we had a long-term strategy to build a movement around gun safety. That did not exist here in Illinois. The gun lobby uh, really had our lawmakers in Springfield in their pocket. And it had been years um, since any gun safety legislation had been passed. So once we intentionally started to look for supporters, um, the first thing we thought we should do is to engage in election to elect leaders who were going to have the courage to look away from the gun lobby and vote for the public safety of their constituents. And over 10 years, we've worked to build a gun safety majority. Um, We um, are almost 100% there. We still have work to do. Um, But because we've engaged in those elections, we're able to pass good public policy. And I think oftentimes, uh, Kathleen, right, people think just because we have public opinion uh, on our side, right, that 80 percent of people want to ban on assault weapons or 65 or 70 percent. And, you know, it depends on uh, on the year or that, uh, um, you, know, the, you know, the fact is that uh, there's this assumption that just because it's a good idea and because you have public opinion on your side, that something is going to become a law, which is going to keep people safe. And uh, so what's your, 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 you identified one of a key difference, because I think there's this assumption out there for any, for people who are maybe listening. I, I know that I had made that assumption in the past that just because it was a good idea meant it was going to become law or just because it was going to save lives meant it was going to become law. And so what you're saying is that in your role, that you've been able to support people who advocate for reasonable gun safety measures. You've been able to elect people who support that and then defeat people who, who don't. Uh, and so is that the distinction? Do you think enough people get that distinction? No. I mean, and I think there's a couple things. When we started out, we had to have conversations with lawmakers and implore them, this is a good vote for your district. 
And if you take that vote, we're going to be here to support you. I mean, I think that was critical, you know, for them to learn to trust us. And once they did start taking those votes, we had to do the work and put in the time and the resources to make sure they kept their jobs. Because in the end, that's what this is about, is lawmakers keeping their jobs. And the other thing I think it's important is the distinction is that we have a Democratic majority in the House. We have a Democratic majority in the Senate. We have a Democratic governor who's been great and has signed our bills. However, because we have a Democratic majority does not mean we have a gun safety majority. And I think that's very important for people to understand. To walk people through that some more, because I think... I think some people think, you know, just because someone's a Democrat, uh, that means they're going to vote for, you know, a ban on assault weapons. They're going to vote to to ban ghost guns or to license gun dealers, right? And 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 what you're saying is, it, so you're making a distinction between a gun safety majority and a Democratic majority. And that, but, but right, so what? Walk people through that a little bit more. Yeah, I think people when discussing gun safety, turn it into a partisan issue. And I don't see it that way. You know, these bullets don't know party. Everybody's life is at risk. Everyone's community is at risk. As we can see in Illinois, that your town is next, right? Um, And so there are Democrats in districts in the South and in some of the color counties that are not with us. And they should be with us because there's gun violence of all kinds happening, whether it's suicide, intentional shooting, mass shooting, school shootings, everyday, you know, violence in their cities. And, you know, not only in Chicago, but in Rockford, Peoria, East St. Louis, right? Um, so we need to work just to focus on the issue and not on the party. Yeah, and I think I think for, for people who are listening, they may think, okay, I'm, I'm paying attention. I follow Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio, and and uh, you know, if I have somebody in my district who represents me, and they they say they're a Democrat and they claim to be a, a progressive, yet they need to dig a little bit deeper and uh, and be able to find out really where this person stands on this issue. So how do you inform people uh, who are listening tonight about where a person would stand and whether or not they voted for measures to keep kids and families and first responders safe from gun violence? Where would you, you know, where would they get that information? So we have a two-step lawmaker accountability program. The first thing we do is we put out report cards for existing lawmakers, we grade them on their votes on gun safety bills that were voted on in the previous session. You can find those votes in the report card on our website at gvpaction.com. We just released the report card this week. We're very excited about it. Um, Head over to the website or head over to your Facebook or Instagram account and look for GDPIL. 
The second step in our lawmaker accountability program is a candidate questionnaire. All 118 state reps are off in 2024. Um, not the entire Senate is up. There's about 23 seats up. And every single candidate is going to receive a questionnaire asking them if they support initiatives that are going to keep our community safe. We get those back. If the questionnaires are good, they will receive a GPAC and Giffords endorsement. And again, those will be on our website right after the first of the year. That website is GPAC Illinois, GPACIllinois.com. So it's, you're saying there's a two part process, right? There's a, the, you, you, the process that um, you have questionnaires and then uh, we, people get a, they get a grade in terms of where mm-hmm. they're at. And you decide um, right. if they're going to be endorsed and if they're going to be supported. Because I, I think, you know, I, for those who are connected to politics or, or, or may think, well, okay, on election day, I'm just going to vote for this person. But, but, you know, just what does essentially mean? Let's say you have somebody who's really not good. You know, someone who's been has not who's been an obstructionist, who's helped to defeat uh, legislation that, or try to defeat legislation that would have kept people safer. That um, sounds to me the commitment on the part of GPAC is to make sure that there is uh, there is engagement and involvement in that political campaign in that race uh, to make sure that that uh, that person would no longer be in office. And uh, and I think that's the difference. I think for I think you would probably say for years, you know, for decades, that's what the gun industry and their lobby did. And that's why elected officials were so afraid to stand up to them because there wasn't an alternative force on the other side. And so what you're saying is there's an actual political engagement, there's actual involvement, and it's actually led to... um, Getting close to, you know, how far away do you think you are from a gun safety majority? What 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 percentage are we at in the state of Illinois? You said getting close to hundred percent. Where? How much farther do we have to go to get to hundred percent? Ninety percent. We're ninety percent of the way there. Ninety percent of the way there. But, yeah. but every election, right, is a risk that we're going to lose some of those folks. So this is a marathon. We have to keep working at it to make sure all those folks stay in office. So why, you know, I, you must feel at times, you know, you've made progress and you've helped to pass legislation and uh, we're moving forward in a, in a, in a positive direction, the state of Illinois, but you must struggle at times in your role when you see, look, we've made this progress and then, then you see there's a mass shooting and then, uh, you know, it's it happens over a, a weekend in, in Chicago. Like, you know, forty people are shot. Like, how do you how do you keep your perspective on, as you said, about the marathon when there daily there's atrocities and tragedies that occur that you know are are, are in, in in many cases are preventable. How do you keep your perspective? Because our work is recent, we. We're able to have our first bill signed in 2019. Um, we have to wait, make sure that 
that law is implemented, enforced, and we need to get the data back. And we've done great work, and I'm confident that when we have time that these laws are enforced and we get good data coming back, it's going to show that we're making a difference. That being said, we were so behind, I feel like we worked on initiatives that were big, right? Um, A ban on assault weapons, large capacity magazines and switches, holding um, gun dealers in the state accountable for bad behavior. Um, But there are other initiatives that are not quite as sexy, but would be very impactful, especially in curbing the everyday gun violence. And homicides we're hearing have gone down, and that's true, and that's a great trend. However, the children, the number of children that are dying has gone up. Mm. And that's something we cannot take our eyes off of. So how does that inform uh, the priorities that GPAC has for the future? You talked about there's more work to be done. So what are some of the priorities that GPAC has um, that are coming up uh, in the near term that that could be passed into law, which would lead to our communities and neighborhoods and our state uh, being safer? You know, Dan, there's a list of about 25 initiatives that we can do and we should do. Um, But there are some that are at the top of the list right now. One of those is Karina's bill. Um, Karina's bill was named after Karina Gonzalez. She and her daughter were shot and killed by her husband, even though she had filed a domestic order of protection. The gun should have been removed and was not. So this is a gap in the Domestic Violence Act that we're trying to close. Um, We hope to get that passed in the spring. Other measures that are um, important, cracking down on the lost and stolen guns that are moving into the illegal gun market in the city, we see a gap in the current accountability of the law and we'd like to close it. Another issue that... So what do you, what do you mean to close the, uh, oh. the gap? What do you mean by that? Like, what's what's the gap? What's what's the problem with lost and stolen guns? What What's what's happening uh, that that could be, could be occurring? What's not happening? So your gun is lost and stolen, and you don't report it. You're supposed to report it within 72 hours. There's no enforcement. So how do we hold people accountable? Well, we tighten up the law to say this gun is traced back to you. You know, you should have reported it. And now that gun owner is going to be held accountable. Right now it's a ticket. Right. So we absolutely need to increase accountability on that. Um, And then... We want to extend the length of time that prosecutors have to try these cases because by the time a gun is lost or stolen, ends up in a crime, 
law enforcement is able to trace it back, sometimes the statute of limitation runs out. So if people see that they're not going to be held accountable, we're not going to be able to stop this behavior. So that's two crucial ones you talked about. Uh, uh, the Krina's bill is being able to get guns removed from uh, people who are dangerous, who've had uh, mm-hmm. an order of protection issued against them, and within 24 hours. And right now, because right. it seems, because, you know, is anybody out there who's listening, who's ever uh, known someone who's uh, faced domestic violence or who've uh, endured it themselves, you know that time is of the essence, right? And so you're saying that this would be enforceable and the guns would be uh, removed from uh, someone's possession who is dangerous within 24 hours. And you're talking about this lost and stolen mechanism that's put in place. There would be greater accountability as it relates to that. And by the way, any of those who's paying attention, these <laughs> these are all very reasonable provision. It's, it sounds very odd to me that someone would be on the other side saying, we really need to give people who are committing acts of domestic violence more time to possess their firearms, right? So it's a real strange position and an odd position for someone sure. to be in on that side. So you're saying that domestic violence, uh, helping to you know, get guns removed from the custody or the, the possession of very dangerous people, uh, lost and stolen, getting better reporting. These are all simple mechanisms. And uh, and what's a what's a, another priority that's out there that you're focusing on? You know, ever since the Highland Park mass shooting, we know that there is a gap or just not enough accountability in mental health records being reported so that people who should no longer have firearms are not allowed to access them. And so what we found is that one way we can increase the database with these mental health records is to do better education about that it needs to be done and how to do it. Again, a very simple step, right, Dan? Education. Right, right. And so it's, you know, for those who are paying attention, right, we're, what we're hearing is is there's, there could be three measures that would pass. And with uh, all these instances that we've seen in domestic violence, it could be we could save lives. And then for lost and stolen firearms, we could better track because those guns inevitably ended up being used in criminal activity or being trafficked, right? And then the third thing mm-hmm. that you're talking about is better mental health reporting uh, for those people who present a danger to themselves or to their um, to, to their community that they live in. So they're prevented from getting access to firearms. It's just, this is all very basic and very simple. And it's, so it sounds to me like the good news is we've been able to kind of drill down on more things there while we focus on the big picture items. You said like a ban on assault weapons, uh, mm-hmm. restrictions on high capacity ammunition magazines. We can start to more granularly and more targeted folks and say, okay, here's where we can save even more lives. Um, and there's there's obviously uh, more work to do uh, on that front. And I kind of want to, I'm going to, I'm going to keep you here after, uh, uh, after 630 for a little bit. We're going to have a little bit of a commercial uh, in a couple minutes. And because I want you to talk about how you got involved in this, uh, this effort uh, 
to try and make sure that we have uh, better, safer uh, communities and, and that people are protected from gun violence and uh, and just and talk about what people can do uh, in order to uh, get involved uh, and make a difference because I, I know that's crucial, that's essential. So, um, but I, uh, when I think about what's in, of the, right now, before we go to we have about two minutes. So what, what's the one initiative that you've already passed and you're like, you can point to and you say, that's a real signature, uh, achievement for, uh, GPAC, where you pointed to do it said like, this is a real signature achievement because it shows that we can get something significant passed and that we're, we're consequently able to get that much more done because we got it passed. I would say that was the block illegal ownership bill, the bio bill, which enacted universal background checks for private sales. Again, those private sales, those guns aren't traced and they end up in the illegal market. It was huge. Uh, and it was hard to do. It had um, other um, initiatives in it. We modernized the FOID card. Uh, we gave resources to law enforcement so they could remove guns um, for people who had revoked FOID cards. And it was the largest package, gun safety package, that was passed in the Midwest. And that is, my hand on that one. Yeah, yeah. And then as a consequence of passing that, kind of sounds like it opened the door for other measures uh, to get passed. Because uh, um, sometimes it takes, uh, as you know, it takes a long time uh, for to uh, socialize an idea and for people to people to recognize the importance of it. And then consequently, you know, there are people can always say, oh, it's a great idea. And you know, yes, yeah, sure, I, I I support you. It's another thing for people to actually vote on it, uh, which they did. So um, let's, when you circle back, let's kind of come back okay. and discuss for a couple minutes, a few minutes to talk about how, you know, how you got involved, why you're involved, and, and what people can do uh, to really make a difference um, by getting involved uh, with GPAC. So thank you, Kathleen Sanchez, who's the president and CEO of GPAC. We'll come back after commercial. This is Dan Katowski. Filling in for uh, Patty Vasquez on Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez, WCBT Radio 820, um, the Heartland Signal, and KTNF 950 AM, Minneapolis, St. Paul. We'll see you in a little bit. Hey there, it's your guy, Warren Price, from European and U.S. Collision Repair, a division of Technicraft Body Shops. We specialize in automobile and truck repair as well as normal automobile maintenance. With our highly skilled technicians and environmentally friendly materials, we strive for quality. Call 773-248-1200, that's 773-248-1200, or europeanus.com. You're listening to Driving It Home with Patty Vasquez on WCPT 820. Hello, this is uh, Dan Katowski back 
uh, filling in for uh, Patty Vasquez, uh, driving home with Patty Vasquez. And again, welcome all of our listeners at KTNF 950 AM, Minneapolis, St. Paul. I'm here with uh, Kathleen Sanchez, who's the president and CEO of GPAC, an organization that's uh, dedicated to uh, saving lives and making sure that uh, we uh, have in Illinois a, uh, a gun safety majority so that we can pass legislation that uh, protects our children and families uh, from gun violence and creates uh, safer communities. Kathleen, it's great to have you on. Thank you for going through the whole, you know, sort of the, the process, the approach of GPAC, and then what are the key priorities that have uh, been focused on and what you want to be uh, concentrating on in the future and the achievements. So I wanted to talk to you about, so you're, you're someone who's worked in this uh, issue for um, several years, and what what is it about this issue? Why, why are you doing the work that you're doing? And then, um, and what is it uh, other people can do uh, to get involved? Kathleen, you there? <laughs> sorry, I muted. Muted. Sorry, that's okay. That's okay. I, I, I just lost. I just lost my. You out, yeah, yeah, I just I <laughs> just had a deep sweat. Got a deep sweat here. I was like, where Where is she? Yeah. So, uh, what is the? Uh, um, I was talking. So, why are you doing what you're doing? Yeah. And then, uh, what are some of the ways in which people can get involved? I'm absolutely passionate about this. I, I, I love my job. It's hard work. Um, I was just lucky to be in the right place at the right time when GPAC needed a political strategy, because that's what this was all about. And that's my background is in campaign management. And, um, that's why I'm here and I'm blessed to be here. And, it's not easy, Dan, right? Right, right. Yeah, it, you know, it, the opponent is nasty. They're bullies. Um, and so it's a challenge, and it's a challenge that I'm willing to take on. You know, the most important thing that people can do is vote and make sure that you're voting for lawmakers who are endorsed by GPAC and are going to keep voting for more initiatives to keep your children, families, and communities safe and free from gun violence. It is so important to make that commitment. It's important for you to have these conversations around your kitchen table with your family, friends, and neighbors. Um, because this year, we've recorded the most mass shootings to date. And we need to have that start trending the other way. And the only way we're going to get this done is by electing the right people. You can find out who the lawmakers in Illinois um, are by going to our website and signing up for our emails. The website is gpacillinois.com. That's G-P-A-C-I-L-L-I-N-O-I-S. And also, if you have a question about this, pick up the phone and call your lawmaker and and put the question in front of them, whether they support it. Because we are always one election away from all of the work we've done being rolled back. Mm. 
Yeah, I think sometimes people don't recognize that. They think, you know, we've had these measures passed. Well, as the work is done, but the whole idea and that we are one election away from losing everything that we've fought so hard uh, to achieve. Uh, I think it's, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to, given all the challenges that people have and, you know, on a daily basis, whether you're raising family or going to work or you're just trying to live within your means, it's so difficult. But just to be able to keep focused on the fact that, you know, we have to stay involved. We can't ever not be involved. And because... You know, what do you know about the other side, Kathleen? Do do they ever take their foot off the gas? Does the gun industry and their <laughs> lobby ever take the foot off the gas? Never. Never. And like I said, they're bullies. And they're well-funded. And, you know, we're hearing that the NRA made a lot of missteps. And, you know, they're trying to claim that they're bankrupt. But the National Shooting Sports Foundation is taking their place, and they're going to be even stronger than the NRA, in my opinion. So, who does and, that, who does the National Shooting Sports Foundation uh, represent? Gun manufacturers. Yeah. And how big of an industry is that in in the U.S.? Multi billion dollar industry. Right. And then so, and how big of an industry is it? Like I always. When you have conversation with people, like what's what's the size, what's the amount of wealth being generated by gun violence victims in in the United States to compete with that? You can't. Yeah, you can't. I, you know, it, you know that's the thing is that all the work we do is centered on survivors, and GPAC was founded by survivors, and you know, unfortunately. That group is growing more and more every year. It's a club nobody wants to join, right? Right, right. Yeah, nobody wants to join. And that's, yeah, it's one of the things I think also that it's an important part. And I know you've done this work at GPAC that passed legislation and people think, okay, well, that's, that's terrific. The legislation was passed. But meanwhile, there's... There could be a mom, a dad, a brother, sister uh, who lost somebody very close to them uh, to uh, gun violence. And despite the fact that you have the best of intention and legislation gets passed, it won't bring back the person who died. Uh, Right. Yeah. And so what does that what does that tell you about in your role? How does it expand what you're doing in your role where you're not just focusing on. Uh, gun safety, right, or, or legislation as it relates to, you know, firearms and um, and those type of measures. What does that mean for your role and your position? I think it's important to bring survivors to the table when we start to talk about policy, because those closest to the problem are closest to the solution. I also sit back and admire. You know, we have survivors who lost children back in the 90s, and they're still doing this every day because that's how they go on. But every time we are able to pass the bill and their survivors are invited to 
the signing, they have a moment of happiness and honoring who they lost by seeing that something's accomplished to stop this. It's kind of extraordinary when you think about it that people who, uh, you know, moms who lost their kids or dads or family members, that they're still involved and um, they're still fighting. It must be so mm-hmm. exhausting for them. And yet they'll do whatever I can to, to honor the memory of uh, someone they loved very much and uh, and to make sure that they are honoring the member of the, the person they lost by by uh, passing legislation that's going to keep other people safe. You know, and what a right. what a great uh, tribute uh, to those um, those people who they cared so deeply about. And it's you know, it's it's there, there's there's it's an incredible type of uh, it's incredible kind of courage, and it's mm-hmm. just uh, I don't know it just it just tells you. You know, it tells you the, the how deep the love is and how deep the grief is, and uh, and and how important it is that we all remember that. You know, when you see in a, in a, in, a, in other ways and people get involved for you know when someone they've lost somebody very dear to them for it could be for an illness, uh, could be for um, a range of um, situations, right? And uh, um, and they get involved. You know, and they because they know because it's connected to a person, and I think there's been so many people who've been affected by this, so many people who've been impacted yeah. by gun violence. It's just that, and then we, you, you used to be you'd have a conversation and nobody really knew somebody, and now everybody's Ugh. they know somebody they've 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 witnessed something, you know it was it was an unusual circumstance, but now it's like we have a whole group of people, whole generation of people who've who've seen it in Highland Park, a whole generation of people who've, um, who've experienced it in, in, in Lawndale, a generation of people who've who've been impacted by gun violence in Aurora, in Rockford, in Springfield, in Las Vegas, wherever. You pick the place. And I think so. I just wanted to tell you how much I appreciated you uh, in the work Aww. you're doing. Uh, and thank you for thank your you. leadership. And, you know, on behalf of uh, me and our listeners, we're grateful for the fact that you've been doing whatever you could do to keep uh, keep uh, people safe uh, and make sure that they are free from this scourge of gun violence. So uh, much, much gratitude to you. Thank you for calling in. And oh, before we uh, uh, before we depart for the evening, I've been asking people, given it's a kind of a holiday show, and I don't know whenever they're going to ever have them back on this uh, show, Kathleen. So what's the uh, okay. what is your favorite holiday movie? Um, what's your favorite? Love actually. Love <laughs> actually. Let's go. So yeah, that fits. Uh, that uh, I um, cry every year, Dan. <laughs> that's year. great. So we had uh, we just uh, we're two we're two for Elf. Uh, we had Clayton Harris at Elf, and then Rick Estrada from Metropolitan Family Service at Elf. And you have Love Actually. Uh, I would love to be able to have it, Andy. Let's. Uh, Andy is, is one of your favorites. Uh, love Actually, or no? He's he's shaking his head. Don't hurt your head there, Andy. What's your what's your favorite holiday movie? 
it's a wonderful life. It's a wonderful life. All right. Oh. Andy does not want to be a part of the show, but I just threw him in here. Um, so it's a wonderful life. <laughs> Those of you who are paying attention, I, I, I'm going to be on for a little bit longer. But Kathleen, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate you and the work you're doing. Uh, look forward to connecting soon. Uh, have a wonderful night. Thank you so much, Dan. Thanks. Uh, that was great. Uh, and Kathleen Sanchez and uh, we're... Uh, um, we're going to keep going here, and uh, and just uh, we had a few guests here tonight. We had, Kath- we had Kathleen Sanchez, who's the present CEO of GPAC, and she talked about the work that's being done in the in the state of Illinois to make sure that uh, you know laws are passed uh, to keep people safe from gun violence, and then. We had Rick Estrada, who's talking about programs that are in place to make sure people are safe from crime and violence and poverty. And then we had um, Clayton Harris, uh, who's uh, running for Cook County State's attorney, about what can be done to make sure that people are going to be safer. So we had multiple approaches here tonight to talk about this issue because it it takes you know more than one entity and individual to solve a problem as big as this. So you know, I have a, a few more minutes here. I'm going to be on until six fifty eight. For those of you who are uh, paying attention, we have a little bit of a holiday contest out there in terms of what your favorite holiday movie is. Please call in because I'd love to hear from you. And we can also talk about some of the people who, uh, uh, who are on the, on the, on the show here tonight and uh, some of their approaches and what they were discussing. You know, Andy, I think it's, it's really compelling when, um, People uh, focus on uh, making a difference, and it takes years uh, to make a difference in in people's lives, and uh, and to pass you know policy that is going to have a significant difference. When you think about where we're at as a state, I think it started out years ago. I started working in in violence prevention back in the nineties, uh, back when I, I still had just a modest amount of hair on top of my head. And it was, we've seen the fundamental difference that's taken place over time. And we see not just a greater level of awareness when it comes to trying to prevent violence in the state of Illinois, but people actually voting for measures that will, uh, will lead to people being safer and more secure. And it's going to take time. It takes time for these measures to be incorporated into law and enforced. But that's that's really good news. And then you see other people on the other front who are working in um, for nonprofits and like Rick Estrada and the work that he's doing and how important it is. He talked about the Peace Academy and they're training people on how to work when a violent situation happens, they go there and they work directly with those who have been impacted by this uh, an act of violence and they work with the neighborhood, they work with the communities, and they also work with people who used to be uh, involved uh, in the criminal justice system and they help them get work, they help them get jobs. And many times people get involved in, uh, in, in activity that's not positive in their lives because they don't have a lot of options. And so what Rick has been doing at his organization is making sure that there are opportunities and options that are out there to ensure that people are going to be have every opportunity to be successful and ultimately people are going to be safe. And then when you talk about people running for office, um, look, anybody who's listening tonight, if you think you can make a difference, if you think you can have an impact on this world, if you're willing to sacrifice your time uh, and your resources, go out and run for office. I did it. I was a senator for nine years. And it was a, it was challenging, as as um, as anything I've done in my entire life. It was challenging, but it was exceedingly rewarding, and I got to meet some of the the best, you know, smartest, uh, hardworking, um, 
devoted, caring people on the planet. So think about running for office. Think about getting engaged. And if you're not comfortable running for office and be out in front, get involved in a campaign. You know, do what's necessary to help elect good people. There's a lot of good people who are putting their names out on the ballot right now. And there are also people out there who uh, basically are running on positions that will not be positive for us uh, as a state, as a country, uh, as a city. So get involved and make sure they don't get elected to office. This is a very big year. I know people say this is a, big, a coming year, but people, it seems like it's uh, something that we state all the time. But this is a very, very big year uh, coming up for our country. You know, you need, if you're thinking about uh, the fact that you're you're fatigued and you're tired and you just don't know what to do, you got to just move move past it. You got to get involved. You know, you got to get involved and you got to participate because we get the government that we deserve. And if we're not involved, you have nobody to blame but yourself. So get involved, participate, and get engaged. So it was great that we had Clayton on at the beginning of the uh, the show, and Clayton was talking about what he wanted to achieve as state's attorney and how his key going after, like, the syndicates. We were leading uh, these efforts that were dangerous, that get guns in the hands of people who are, you know, who are causing a lot of havoc uh, in our communities and our neighborhoods and um, in focusing on those who are most responsible. I think that's a key message. So, you know, what we have going on tonight, we talked about very, very important measures. We talked about engaging people who've been most impacted by by violence and hearing the voices of victims. Um, and that's by hearing them, we, we make sure that they're getting what they need. We make sure we honor the lives of those uh, they've lost. Uh, you know, we at uh, and my organization that I work at, uh, at Kids Above All, we have uh, a camp for uh, kids who've lost family members to homicide. And the reason why this camp exists, it's called Camp Sheila. The reason why it exists is because oftentimes kids don't have a place to go to to talk about, you know, the fact that they lost somebody to homicide and or they don't feel comfortable and they need a place where they can get support. They need a place where they can get uh, somebody um, who understands them. And so when you think about involving victims, involving families and hearing their voices, that's essential and that's key. Uh, we also heard about tonight is making sure that you vote, making sure that you participate in the, the process, the election process. That's key. That's central. And then in addition, we talked about like, there's nonprofits out there. There's so many ways to make a difference in your community. There are so many opportunities you have to get involved. So if you're thinking about like, okay, an election coming up, well, you can, you can work in a polling place. You can knock on doors. You can work on election day. You can make phone calls. You can do whatever. And when it comes up to a nonprofit neighborhood, you can volunteer. You can mentor. Uh, you can make sure you can get meals handed out over the holidays. You can help wrap gifts. There's so many ways you can make a difference. And when it comes to um, making sure we get legislation passed, you can call your elected officials and communicate to, you know, to them and say, hey, listen, um, I really care about this measure. I think one of the biggest things that's happened in the state of Illinois, one of the changes that we've seen happen is that people are actually reaching out to their elected officials and telling them what they care about. And telling them that um, if you do not advocate, if you do not support this measure, I will do whatever I can to defeat you. And that's key and that's central, right? That's central. Because, you know, if, if people in positions, trust me, as a former elected official, if somebody didn't hear from somebody, 
they wouldn't know whether or not it was important. Even if it was the most important measure, even if on its face it looked like it was, you know, something that was essential and, and measures that were life saving. But if they didn't hear from somebody, if a senator rep didn't hear from somebody, they wouldn't move forward. They wouldn't, you know, vote on it or they would, you know, just, you know, claim there was a certain amount of ignorance. You know, you need to keep people's feet to the fire. You need to ensure that um, they recognize that you know and that you're following them and you're tracking them and you know what they're voting for, you know what they're supporting. So um, that's just some key takeaways for tonight. And I I wanted to see, so uh, like, you know, we talked before about some of the favorite holiday movies you may have. You know, my my favorite holiday movie, I didn't divulge this yet, Andy, uh, is It's a Wonderful Life 2. I saw it at the Pickwick Theater last Sunday. It was a great show, um, and uh, I, I talked about, uh, I was, uh, it was, uh, you know, I, I don't know what, uh, I must be storing up a lot of tears inside of me because uh, a fair amount of volume of uh, tears were cascading down my face. That movie gets me every year, gets me every year. So I was at the Pickwick, and it was a great show. But, uh, you know, for those of you thinking about ways to get involved over the holidays, you know, make sure you look up nonprofits that are doing great work. You can get involved. You can uh, they donate gifts. There's all sorts of organizations that are out there that are doing good work. You heard about Metropolitan Family Services. You heard about our organization uh, that I talked about, that I, I work for is Kids Above All. You know, check that out because we have uh, 1,500 kids that we're taking care of this holiday. 1,500 kids we're going to provide gifts for. That's an incredible number of kids. But there's a whole host of organizations that are out there doing their work. The YMCA, um, Family Focus, uh, Lawrence Hall. There's some great work at Thresholds. There's a lot of great nonprofits out there that are doing terrific work. So think about them. Think about ways in which you can get involved. And uh, that's just, you know, that's essential and that's key. So, um, you know, today I think we saw... uh, and if you've been watching the news, you saw there was another mass shooting. And uh, and I think we need to think about this as we as we enter into the holiday season. You know, we had Kathleen Sanchez on at the end. You know, think about when is it going to be too much? When do we officially draw a line in the sand in the country and say that that's no longer acceptable? When does that happen? You know, you would think it would have happened in Columbine in, in, in the 90s when that, that horrible incident happened in Columbine when that mass shooting occurred. You would think it would have happened in Newtown, Connecticut. Uh, you would think it would have happened um, at the Pulse nightclub shooting. You would think it would have happened, you know, at uh, all these other places where we've seen these acts of mass violence. And then we're seeing it again and again and again. So think about what we were talking about today. Think about, you know, what Kathleen Sanchez has said. Think about getting involved. Think about participating. Think about supporting. Think about electing a gun safety majority in our state, in our country. And, and think about what that's going to lead to. Again, as Kathleen indicated, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. It's going to take a lot of time. So um, make sure you commit to it. Do the work. You know, I'm Dan Katowski. Uh, I've been doing this, uh, uh, been involved in um, violence prevention and public safety and social impact work, you know, the bulk of my life. And uh, it's, you know, it's just something that's, it takes time. So um, make sure that you, you recognize that and recognize it's not going to happen overnight, but also recognize that uh, 
Um, good things, good things occur if you stay committed. One of my favorite quotes in the in the in the planet, Andy, is one of my favorite quotes is nothing takes the place of persistence. Talent will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb, right? Nothing takes the place of persistence. Talent will not. Unrewarded genius is almost a proverb. And that means just never give up. Keep doing it. Keep showing up. Stay focused. You know, fall down seven times, get up eight, you know, do whatever it is. And and it is, that's essential. Um, And know at, at the end of the day that you have an opportunity to leave the world better than you found it. And you have an opportunity to save lives. And you have an opportunity to save our democracy, by the way. Because this is what's, you know, key coming into this year. What are you going to do to make sure that we have a safe, safe country, a free country, and a, and a country where um, people have the opportunities they deserve to have? We've seen too many challenges, too many struggles, too many difficulties that are occurred that are all preventable. And so please get engaged. Please get involved. Uh, this has been a great opportunity to be here tonight. Uh, I'm uh, uh, Dan Katowski filling in live for uh, Patty Vasquez. Uh, Patty is uh, uh, taking some uh, nice little time off and uh, and, and enjoying herself, hopefully. But uh, it's uh, been a great opportunity to be here. Uh, Chicago's Progressive Talk Radio, 820, uh, on the Driving Home with Patty Vasquez show, the Heartland Signal, and KTNF, 950 AM, Minneapolis-St. Paul. Uh, for those of uh, our friends in, uh, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, thank you so much for listening. And for those who are on at WCPT beforehand, I uh, really appreciate the fact that you were here and that you uh, you listened. You stayed on uh, the whole time. And you heard our guest, uh, Clayton Harris, tonight, who's running for state attorney. And Rick Estrada, who is... Uh, is uh, the present CEO of Metropolitan Family Services, uh, and Kathleen Santos, who is the president and CEO of GPEC. I'm Dan Katowski. Have a great holiday, a wonderful new year, and uh, look forward to uh, connecting with you next time uh, on the show. Take care.